What a powerful time of worship this morning, amen? As I mentioned in prayer, as we get ready to dig into God's Word, I want to remind you that during this time, as we hear the Word of God preached, we enter into just as much a time of worship as the spiritual time of corporate praise. Now, the music that we hear a lot of times elicits an emotional response, right? We feel the Holy Spirit in a very tangible way as we praise and worship with song. But I encourage you as we listen to God's Word this morning, that you allow, allow it to travel from your mind, right, that intellectual idea, into your heart. That we would be obedient to His Word, and with that, we will learn and understand and see that hearing his word is equally worship. So with that, I invite you to continue our time of worship. As a reminder of the journey that we've taken so far this year, we spent the early part of 2017 going through the book of James. Right, With the prominent themes in James relating to our actions and deeds, showing the fruit and condition of our hearts, and the guidance that we should be living with an eternal, heavenly perspective. Then Caleb walked us through a series centered on the gospel. Right? We've just spent the past five weeks talking about the gospel with a focus toward the clarity, necessity, grounding, outworking, and finality of the gospel. With the important theme related to the need for us as people of God to understand and be able to articulate the gospel. Now this morning we'll be diving into 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1-13. through 13. We will see in this text that Peter is setting up the remainder of the book of 1 Peter by reminding his readers of salvation, which is the promise of the gospel, the importance and foundation of faith, and encouraging them to maintain an eternal perspective by setting their hope on the grace coming with the return of Christ Jesus. <coughs> At this time, if you don't have a copy of God's Word, uh, I'd, go, I'd invite you to go ahead. Uh, Sheila has some Bibles there on the table in front of me. Uh, please go ahead and, and raise your hand. She can uh, hand a Bible to you. Um, if you don't own a Bible, uh, we'd encourage you, please take that as a gift to us. Uh, there's no greater joy and gift than to have the Word of God at our fingertips. As we approach the Word in 1 Peter 1, please pray with me, having a personal conversation with God by restating in your own words as I pray aloud. Dear Lord, as we approach your word and learn from your divine guidance and teaching, please allow the words to penetrate our minds, but most importantly, Lord, let it guide our hearts. Just like corporate worship with song, allow us to feel a connection and understanding of your truth and the peace that it brings us in this moment. Lord, we pray that you would allow my words to be your words, that only your truth would be heard and understood. Lord, we recognize that this time of worship is not to be taken lightly, but is an opportunity to know you more and grow in relationship with you, our Lord and Father. 
Help us in this moment to move aside any distractions and thoughts that could cloud our understanding of who you are, Lord Jesus. Thank you for your word and for giving us direct access to you through your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So before we go ahead and, and read this scripture in, in 1 Peter 1, I want to set up a little bit of a context. Right? I want us to understand a little bit about Peter, who he was, what he did, and, and why this book is so important to us. Right? So most of us are, are probably pretty familiar, if we've spent any time at all in our Bible, about the disciple Peter. Right? He was one of the twelve disciples of Jesus Christ, and in fact he was one of the four that walked very closely with Christ Jesus, right? With him, Andrew, James, and John really formed that core uh, group that, that ministered during Jesus' time on earth. Given the name Peter, or Rock, by Christ, we remember Peter from our recent study of the crucifixion as the one who would deny Christ three times. Right, we remember that from just a couple weeks ago. Peter fulfilled Jesus' call and in fact denied him three times. Right, throughout the books we know as the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Peter is a lot of times seen, seen as the one who seems to have the most questions and outward struggles. Right, the one that I find myself relating to. Right, a lot of times you might say, oh, Peter, that's a silly question. Right? But in our, in our deep heart of hearts, we say, that's kind of the question I have. <laughs> but despite this misunderstanding throughout Christ's ministry, right, Peter, along with the other disciples and followers of Christ, gained a full understanding of who Christ was and his purpose post-resurrection. Right? Upon Jesus' return, the light bulb comes on. Right? All of a sudden, they realize and understand that these three years that they've been walking alongside this man was for a greater purpose than to just heal the sick in the current time. Right? It was for a greater purpose than just to, to help others in a time of need. After Jesus' resurrection, Peter was imprisoned several times in Jerusalem because of his faith. And because of that, he left with his wife and, and a few others who were being persecuted, and they fled to Babylon, right, where he ministered to the Jewish colonists in that area. It's from Babylon in approximately AD 65 where Peter penned and distributed this epistle of 1 Peter. As we look at this letter, and as we... Uh, we have to understand that much like many of the epistles, this was a chain letter, right? This was a letter that was meant to be passed along from church to church, providing an encouragement and an understanding of the gospel to people who were being persecuted, right? To people who were being cast aside because of their faith. So just remember that context, right, of who Peter is, the purpose of that letter, as we approach this scripture. So we turn to 1 Paul chapter or 1 Peter chapter 1 starting in verse 1 and continuing through verse 13. Peter an apostle of Jesus Christ to God's elect strangers in the world 
scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Christ is revealed. So the big idea that we'll consider this morning in looking at these verses, and you can see that big idea behind me, is that Peter is reminding his readers of salvation, which is the promise of the gospel, the importance and foundation of faith, and encouraging them to maintain an eternal perspective by setting their hope on the grace coming with the return of Christ. As the opening of this letter, Peter communicates that our motivations and actions for all things should be only from an outpouring of the promise of the gospel. As we look at this message and these inspired words of God through Peter, and any time we approach scripture, we have to consider and understand that first and foremost, we are sinners in need of a Savior. If we can't acknowledge that we are sinners in need of a Savior, the scripture means nothing. If we can't get over ourselves and realize that this inspired word of God has value for us in this moment, in this day, right now, we might as well stop. And so I just ask as we approach that, right, that we acknowledge and understand that to be the case. With that, let's look at this first point in, in 1 Peter, where Peter lays out the reminder of salvation, the promise of the gospel, in verses 3-4, and then again in uh, verses 10 through 12. So again, I'm going to read verses 3 and 4 and skip over to 10 and 12 again. 
Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. And skipping down to verse 10, concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look, to look into these things. So let's take a moment to think about some of these ideas and promises. Right, New birth into a living hope. An inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. I don't know about you, but I need that reminder almost every moment of every day. As I look at my days, it doesn't always feel like living hope. Or hope in action. Right? Bogged down by earthly circumstances, it's not difficult to acknowledge that work is hard, right? That marriage is difficult. That friendships and connecting with people is hard. That being a dad is hard. It's easy to find discouragement or areas where you feel you can be better in your life. In this sinful world, dissatisfaction and comparison seems to be lurking in every moment. Ready and willing to keep us down and from enjoying the moments in front of us. Satan constantly allows us to believe the lies that we aren't good enough or that we aren't doing enough. But what's interesting is that the joy in that is that these are slightly true. Right? That we aren't good enough. Right? That we can't do enough. Right? The harder we try on our own, the more difficult life becomes. So as children of God, whose identity is rooted at the foot of the cross, we can rest in the promise of a perfect Savior, who lives and reigns and has given us the purpose and opportunity to glorify Him, in that, we have a living hope. A living hope that comes from an eternal perspective and truth stated in verse 4. Right? An inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Kept in heaven for each of us that put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And the fact that we live in a sinful world, willing and trying constantly to keep us down, Right, is the reason that we stay connected to the Word of God. That as Mark urged us earlier this morning, that is the reason that we must press into biblical-focused community. Right, Because on our own, we can't do it. 
Right? If we try harder, it's not going to work. We need community that reminds us that our hope is not in our job or our next job. It's not in the stuff that we have or the spouse that our, or the happiness that our spouse may bring us for a short period of time. No, that living hope comes from the promise of Christ and Christ alone. Now, the second part of salvation that Peter discusses in verses 10 through 12 is the reminder that all the thoughts, ideas, and promises from the prophets hundreds of years before Christ's arrival on earth were pointing toward the grace coming from Christ's eventual return. Now, when I think of the prophets, I think of complete and utter obedience. Lives of difficulty and despair ministries proclaiming the gospel with no one willing to listen and obey. Right? Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, and others with the inspired, of God, inspired word of God proclaimed from their mouths, predicting the suffering of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. People didn't listen. Right? If we measured their ministries as we sometimes measure ministries today, Right? They would be a complete and utter failure. They would have zero people on Sunday morning. They would have zero people progressing in their faith and growing. Right? But they continued to be obedient, knowing that they were called by God to proclaim these truths. To set up the arrival of our Lord and Savior, Christ Jesus. So with Christ Jesus securing that truth in hand, we now, we now have the faith that we can rest in the promise of living hope. Again, an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade. Again, the prophets providing to us an understanding, a foreknowledge of that living hope in Christ Jesus. And the idea that through faith, Right? Through our faith, that is realized. So this takes us to our second point, in which Peter explains the importance and foundation of faith in verses 5 through 9. So I'm going to read it again, starting in verse 5. Who through faith are you who are, excuse me, you who are, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not, not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So as I look at this group of verses, a couple points stick out to me. First, the idea that we will suffer grief and trials. As I mentioned before, life is hard. Right? There is no one, Christian or non-Christian, who has lived a life without grief and trial. It is part of the sinful world we live in, being separated from God, an inevitable part of being human. 
Sometimes, I know for myself, however, I find myself asking why. Right? Why me? Why now? Why in this way, in this area of my life, is everything so hard? The answer we see is in verse 7. Right? It says, These trials have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, faith may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus returns. Right? When Jesus returns. The truth that our praise, honor, and glory for obedience to Christ will come not here on earth, but upon Christ's return. So we persevere. We rejoice in the suffering. Our test is one of de delayed gratification for immediate obedience. Right? Our test is one of delayed gratification for immediate obedience. The important element of trials in our lives on this side of salvation is our response to this suffering. It begs us in the present time to reflect. Is our response to current trials and suffering genuine faith? Genuine faith that will result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus returns. Again, I ask, is our response to current trials and suffering genuine faith? In talking about the response to trials, I'll be completely honest. The last five to six months in the lives of our family have been really hard. The transition from one child to two child under two, wow. <laughs> in fact, I think there was someone in this room that told me it wouldn't be that bad. And so I think they were either trying to shield me from the truth or... Um, but... Days, evenings, and nights full of doubts that we'll have enough energy to get through the next day, or even the current day. Weeks and months of feeling like being on the same page with my spouse as we juggle two children simultaneously seems impossible. Periods of time where I've incorrectly negotiated and discussed with myself and God that it will get easier when the boys get older. Right? Or it will get better when I don't have to leave my family to travel for work. Right? Or things will be good when the list of house projects is a little smaller. And not until very recently has the Lord pressed upon me that those desires of increased comfort are idols. Instead of putting my faith and trust in Christ... Instead of putting my faith and trust in Christ that this is a time and place, even in the difficulty, where I can honor and glorify God, instead I'm desiring comfort. I'm desiring a better circumstance, deliverance from the difficulties of this world and improved worldly circumstances. I'm begging God to make it better now. But instead, I've been reminded that I should have faith that God has me where I'm needed. That His sovereign plan reigns perfectly over my life. That's right. And my response should be spiritual. 
not temporal, not worrying about tomorrow, not worrying about the next day, not worrying about a year from now, but that my response should be eternal. With eternity in mind, not an improved circumstance tomorrow. My response is to remember that as a child of God, I have an eternal promise of greater days. So I press into him in these moments, right, with faith that he will deliver me. The importance of faith in these moments is clearly stated as we look at Hebrews 11, verse 6. It says, and without faith it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. As I mentioned before, the problem is not the trials. The problem is not the suffering. The problem is not the difficulty. The problem is our response. Right? And so we are called to seek him in faith through those challenges, through those difficulties, to understand that our promise is in heaven. We see in verses 5 through 9 that idea of faith. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. Produces inexpressible and glorious joy. Again, the idea that faith, though you may not see him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. Produces inexpressible and glorious, and glorious joy. A faith that finds its yes in Jesus. Right? In 2 Corinthians 1.20, it says, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in, Jesus, in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. So with that, I challenge myself and you this morning to live not looking forward at improved earthly circumstances, but to live looking up at the only promises promise and certainty we have. The promise and certainty that we have a God in Jesus Christ who has overcome the world. Who desires us to see and seek Him, not in spite of the suffering, but to focus on Him through the suffering. I am assured with that refreshed and proper eternal perspective, trials and suffering may result in the joy that is called here in first. I pray that we would rest for that throughout the week ahead. Now this brings me to the third and final point from today's verses, in which Peter encourages readers to maintain an eternal perspective by setting their hope on the grace coming from the return of Christ. Right? This, this speaks a little bit to what I've talked about already, but in verse 13 it says, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Right, we've talked at length about the idea of eternal perspective as we journeyed through James earlier this year. We talked a little bit about eternal perspective earlier this morning. The idea that the second we take our eyes off of Christ and the promises he has provided, we fall. We fall into patterns and behaviors of dissatisfaction and trying harder. 
selfish ambitions and desires for self-gain and self-promotion. We find ourselves worshipping idols and desiring things that will soon pass away. Right? Be it money and materials or favor, the comfort that I explained before, approval from those around us. But this eternal perspective flips those ideas on its head. An eternal perspective focused on the glory of God which remains forever allows, to, allows us to be a conduit of Christ's love to other people. And Peter talks about that extensively throughout this. Right? That we first have to acknowledge and understand that we've been given the greatest gift of all. And through that, we outpour love to those around us. So as I wrap up this morning, Peter reminded us of salvation, which is the promise of the gospel, the importance and foundation of faith, and an encouragement to maintain an eternal perspective by setting our hope on the grace coming from the return of Christ. Now, for a moment before we wrap up, I want us to understand why the Holy Spirit pressed upon Peter to open this letter with these ideas of salvation faith, and hope of future grace. As you read through the rest of 1 Peter, Peter continues to provide in-depth guidance on specific challenges for the, church in, the churches in Asia Minor. He asks readers to be holy as Christ is holy, to rid themselves of malice, deceit, and envy, to submit to rulers and masters. He instructs members of the church that wives and husbands, one of the first expressions of the church, are to live in harmony and love one another. Now, all of these things that 1 Peter spills out throughout the rest of this book are good things to understand and pursue. Right? We should pursue avoiding malice and deceit. Right? We should pursue um, loving our spouse right? with an unconditional love. However, if we do it without the motivation of being the outpouring of the promise of the gospel, we've missed the point. If we rid ourselves of deceit and envy for ourselves, as opposed to an outpouring of Christ's love, we've missed the point. If we attempt to love other people for their approval, or for our own gain, as opposed to glorify God and to show them who God is, we've missed the point. If any behavior modification or actions are done without pointing the glory to God, we've missed the point. Pursuing those things outside of the truth of the gospel result in actions and works that we can't hold up as sinful humans. Right? We'll try harder. We'll do more. Right? To love our spouse more. We'll try in our own own willpower, right, to try and succeed. We'll try harder, and we know what the ending of that is, right? That we can only rest in that of the doing of Jesus Christ. So, my charge is that together, let's pursue faith in God with all that we are, right? That we would allow our actions to be the overflow of Christ's love that brings him honor and glory. As we look ahead, I encourage you to continue studying 1 Peter with, the ideas on, with these ideas that we've discussed on your heart and mind. Next week, uh, 
Pastor Mark will be sharing from Romans 12, I believe, where we take these ideas and we're called in faith to be living sacrifices. Right? So continue to press into the Word this week, understanding who God is and our response to that in our everyday lives. Let's pray.